Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you this is something really interesting. I know that all of you out there didn't receive this, but some of you that are on our e-list did receive it. Uh, you, you remember here a while back, um, we had a prophecy that was very interesting. It was a sequence of events of things that were <clears throat> to come upon America, according to the prophecy. And uh, the sequence of events was to start on 123 of 06. Well, we had quite a few confirmations. We had some even before that prophecy came to us. Uh, we had some of the date. We had some of the happenings in that uh, prophecy. So we got enough confirmations. We figured we better put it out there. You know, the Lord says, if I tell you to warn the wicked and you don't do it, their blood's upon your hands, right? I believe that's Ezekiel 3 and 18, something like that. Well, I'd rather err on the side of warning than, than not. And uh, some people are so afraid that because uh, things have been delayed in the past, they don't want to share things. But And another thing was that I found that a lot of people were judging according to the law concerning the gift of prophecy in the New Testament. And uh, really, they couldn't back up what they were saying with the New Testament. So I shared a little teaching on that. I, I never really felt strong about the date on it, but I felt strong about several things that I saw in there that they were actually prophetic and that they would come to pass because we'd had our own confirmations on that. Well, the thing is, we're still getting confirmations of that date. Some of them are confirmations of um, actual manifestations of things that started on that date concerning these judgments. Um, I'm going to read this one to you. Some of you didn't receive it by email. You know, folks, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 4 and 5, the Bible says, um, Judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will make manifest the heart. He will show the things that are going to happen. Don't judge things before the time. Some people jump to conclusions. Well, this is, uh, I received yesterday, um, a phone call from a lady whose name was uh, Jane Northy. And um, that was about 1 p.m. And um, she's a prophetess. She had actually never heard of me. She's uh, never been to my site or anything like that. Uh, didn't, didn't have a computer. Wasn't on the Internet. But she had an experience with the Lord whereby she was in Russia on that date, 1-23-06. And um, she saw something that made her know that there was a beginning of judgment starting there. She had never seen the prophecy that we had on our site uh, for 1-23-06. Someone sent that to her later. Somebody who knew her sent that to her later, and she read it. And the first thing she thought was, oh my, you know, these children that had this revelation 
the people who prophesied it. You know, there were several people that uh, that date was confirmed to. Some of them were just little children. And um, she said, these people are going to be persecuted uh, falsely. And I would like to share what the Lord showed me. So she called me. And um, neither of us knew one another. Um, she began to, first she started telling me about this revelation that she had over in Russia, what the Lord showed her over there in the Spirit. And uh, she, then she started prophesying to me. It was very nice. I enjoyed it. <laughs> it was good, good confirmations and things. Um, but we didn't know each other. And she uh, prophesied many revelations that the Lord has given to me about myself and and about the things to come. Uh, she prophesied that um, that I was going to receive the anointing of Moses and that uh, she prophesied about the horse that the Lord was going to give to me concerning what I've spoken about, about the white horse uh, rider that's coming. And, um, and she prophesied to me that I'd been translated once and that I would be translated many more times and uh, quite a few things like that. You know, she prophesied things about my present circumstances that she couldn't have known. Uh, that people were persecuting me and that um, uh, not necessarily concerning this prophecy. We had a little bit of that, but uh, concerning other things and how that they would be put to shame ultimately. Uh, she told me uh, things about my future that the Lord has already told me and so that I would know to respect what she was about to tell me uh, concerning this revelation. She shared some of the visions that she had received of world events that had that um, that came to pass to kind of help prove her accuracy. Because I asked her, you know, well, how accurate have you been? You know, <laughs> it's one of our first questions, you know. So how accurate has your gift been? You know, so she shared some things with me, and she had been very accurate. I had felt from the beginning that the prophecy of the 23rd was true, but I didn't feel confidence about the date. That's not unusual. I lots of times don't feel confidence about dates, but... But I always used the term possible when I, when I spoke of the date. And, uh, but I believe what Paul said, that we prophesy in part. We know in part and we prophesy in part. And that when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. We start out, Paul said, as a child. And we think as a child. We speak as a child. But when we become a man, we put away childish things. So prophecy um, can be somewhere between childhood and adulthood. As far as accuracy is concerned, uh, if we prophesy in part, then part of it's us and part of it's God. And of course, we grow according to the we prophesy according to the measure of our faith. The Bible says. So I knew these things. So just the date didn't bother me that much. With some people, they judge according to the law of the Old Testament and concerning a law that was applied to a prophet in the Old Testament instead of one who prophesies in the New Testament. So, I thought I'd share something with you today about judging according to the law. But now, I'm seeing that this date is very significant because we're getting a lot of confirmations of some things that started on that date. And I believe that this uh, prophetess, uh, Jane, uh, believes that the 23rd had more to do with the arrangements with the uh, beginning of the arrangements for these attacks, then the timing of the attack itself. This kind of agrees with um, uh, Leon De Beers' dream, uh, where he was faced with the prophet. And um, he asked the prophet, when will this start? Not 
not when will the judgment start, but when will this start? And for a moment, uh, the prophet was very quiet, just looking at him. And, and then he asked on the 23rd of, of 2006, and he said, yes, that's the date. Well, in Jane's vision, uh, she was in Russia on the 23rd, in Russia on the 23rd, their 23rd. And um, when she saw them selling some submarines to the Muslims, who then began to retrofit these subs and um, update them for an attack on the United States. She saw the Soviet insignia on the side of the conning towers, uh, which kind of makes me think that uh, it's a possibility that these have been taken out of mothballs. I can't imagine any of their newer subs or just built subs having that insignia on the side of it. So that was just my thought. Um, Russia was supplying... Uh, their own naval people to run the subs, but they were supplying them as as mercenaries who were hired by the Muslims. So, so in effect, the Russians couldn't be held responsible. Okay. Uh, she heard the Muslims tell the Russians that they alone would decide the time to begin the attack, and she saw that Putin was becoming a figurehead for the people who were actually in power and who were selling the subs. The Russian subs were in the attack of the prophecy of the 23rd that we have on our site. But few could understand how could the Russians be mixed up in this, and I think that probably bothered a few people, that how could they be mixed up in this. Well, well, I don't know. You know, the, the Russians are selling their subs around the world. The Chinese have quite a few of them, and uh, I don't know who all else. Maybe the Iranians I have, have some. I don't know. But um, at any rate, they are fixed, uh, have a problem with money for their military. matter of fact, um, that was one thing Jane told me that I didn't put in the thing that I emailed out, was that she saw that they were really money-strapped, and uh, that was one reason that they were selling these submarines and helping them to uh, retrofit them, and so on and so forth. Well, uh, another thing that Jane saw was she saw a Muslim who had Western features and was actually a convert from uh, from the West, uh, bringing a suitcase nuke from Canada, and then travel from island to island to a gated uh, kind of well-to-do community in the United States. And then to a place where they he deposited a, this nuclear weapon. She didn't get to see the place that he deposited it, but she knew where he went. So later she actually traveled to the place uh, that God had shown her in the vision and found the islands, which she didn't even know existed, exactly as she had seen, and then found the gated community just as as she had seen in her vision. Then she traveled to the place where the nuke was deposited, and she found out when she got there that it was a nuclear power plant and that she had not known about. She didn't know about this nuclear power plant, didn't know it was there. When we were talking about it, a guy's name came into mind, a prophet that I know that's that's, um, actually working with the government to try to discover some of the hidden nukes. So I, I told her, you know, his address and sent her to him. And uh, I suspect she did go and talk to him. Um, not trying to get in God's way in any way, but um, if God does 
have mercy. He may use that. I don't know. But she told me that she would write this down as clearly as possible, and she'd send it to me, and then we'll probably put it on our site. And um, I, I got another, I guess you could call it um, an inside source here. We can't de- you know, describe it very clearly because uh, we could be left open to the accusation of uh, sharing classified information. So I'll just share it kind of loosely here. An inside source with special clearance has told us that uh, that generals from all over America were being flown in to the Air War College. I'm not going to tell you where the Air War College is. You can find out for yourself if you can. Uh, for a special meeting on 1-23, that's right, the same date, uh, all over America these generals were coming. And uh, that was to last for several days. A few of them had been there preparing the week before, I guess, to probably teach and share and show these men what was going to go on. But um, I guess it's not a far stretch to say that they're preparing for war. They're preparing for it on 123 over in Russia, and they're preparing for it over here in America on 123. So I thought, well, that's rather interesting. You know, there's more things went on on 123 than we thought. Here's an interesting one. This um, I received from Brandon. Um, He had some confirmations of um, 123. He said, I prayed fervently for God to give me confirmation of the judgment coming on 123. The thought entered my head. Why don't you go and flip your Bible open? So I I prayed again. And I, I flipped my Bible open and I put my finger down four times. And these, these are the verses my fingers landed on. Um, Revelation 2, 21 through 23. Well, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, 123 is right there in the address, right? 21, 23. I, I have given her time to repent of her immorality. This is, of course, speaking of Jezebel, the harlot, which many of you already know that the harlot secularly is the United States. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. And I will strike her children dead. Well, that's kind of interesting. That's Revelation 21 through 23. I'd say that's pretty... pretty, um, Right to the point here. Also, he got Isaiah 37:11. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands to destroy them utterly. And will you be delivered? Of course, the implication is no. <laughs> you won't be delivered. So judgment is coming. And let's see. Uh, Daniel 12 and 1. There will be a time of distress. Such has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. And Isaiah 33 and 14. The sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling grips the godless. Who of us can dwell with consuming fire? And who of, who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? Well, that's what's coming, folks. A, a fire and a burning. But you know, it's all for our our maturity. It's all for the glory of God and God is 
very particular over his people and over his crop. He's taking good care of us. And then uh, I prayed again for confirmation. This was, uh, uh, let's see, six days later. I prayed again for confirmation of the 23rd date, and I flipped my Bible open once and stuck my finger down on Numbers 26, on verse 51. The total number of the men of Israel was 601,730. The first thing I thought to do was add 5 plus 1, which was the verse, and then 6 plus 1 plus 7 plus 3, and it came out to 23. There it is again. Interesting, people got, you know, I, I've got some back there I can't even find that people have sent me concerning that date. Well, you know, sometimes the Lord hides a thing somewhat. I, I also think he's, He is uh, trying people, testing people. And I think that quite a few people failed the test concerning this, you know, concerning having mercy towards others, not judging your brother, being at peace. I think that some people quite miserably fail the test. And um, uh, the New Testament is not the Old Testament, folks. We have to be merciful. We have to let people grow in their gift. We have to discern because the prophets did sit by and discern as others shared. And they did let, you know, even very immature people in their gift um, share with the assembly. And, of course, we're still supposed to do that. Uh, we have to be discerning. Now, there's a, I have to tell you this. I receive a lot of prophecies from people because of our site. And you wouldn't believe how many of them I've sent back and said, this is not going to happen. It's not going to happen, or it's not going to happen at that time, or, or, or uh, that this is not a correct prophecy. Or sometimes I'm more, more um, easy with them because I feel like there's some things that are good and some things that are bad, and I just tell them, well, I believe this is prophesying in part. You wouldn't believe how many times that's happened. There's a lot of things that don't make it to our site because I just tell people right off, this is not going to happen. It's not going to happen on that time. It's not biblical or it's it doesn't agree with my spirit or whatever you know so um, we don't accept everything and put it on our site I'd like to share with you something about judging according to the law as opposed to judging according to grace and um, I just think that if people understand this there'll be a lot more peace among the brethren There'll be a lot more less condemnation of one another. Um, we've just come through a time here where we've seen a lot of people that that just weren't right with the Lord in the way they spoke and the way they judged other people. I tell you, this verse came to me several times. I want to read it to you. It's in Romans chapter three. I'll start out a little bit before the verse, verse nine, Romans three and nine. What then? Are we better than they? And of course, in the text, of course, Paul is speaking to the Romans. He's speaking to the uh, church here. Are we better than they? Speaking, of course, the Jews. Uh, no, in no wise. For, for we before laid to charge both of Jews and of Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. 
there's none that doeth good, no, not so much as one. You know, you say, well, that's pretty rough. Well, just think about it, folks. Even he was Jesus was called good master, and, the, and he corrected him. He said, there's, there's only one that's good. And you say, well, that kind of identified him as God, right? <laughs> that's true. But to go around and and um, and to speak that people are good because they are the master or because they are a teacher or because they are a rabbi um, is not perfectly correct, is it? Because actually we're all coming to God um, uh, under grace. He's accepting us where we are in order to bring us to where He is. And when He's through, we will be good. <laughs> and right now we accept our goodness by faith because Jesus Christ gave His life for us. He gave us His life. We accept that by faith. He's going to give it to us. He's going to manifest it in us, you know. But compared to Him, we are we're just lawbreakers. Verse 13. This is the part that really stuck to me, okay? Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. Folks, this has described some experience that we've had with some people who call themselves a remnant. And um, it's sad, but one of the reason one of the reasons that people who live in that state can't be the remnant is because they're still in Babylon. That's why what we're describing here represents apostate Christianity and um, of course Judaism too. Um, He said, the way of peace have they not known and there's no fear of God before their eyes. This describes Christianity today, folks. There is no fear of God before their eyes. People do not tremble concerning what they say in front of the Lord and what they do in front of the Lord. It's almost like they don't believe He's looking and they don't believe He's listening. And um, a lot of judgments going forth from person to person instead of a lot of mercy and grace and love. Verse 19 says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith... It saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may be brought under the judgment of God. Obviously, the law did do that. It um, it made everyone sinners. Everyone. Because by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For through the law cometh the knowledge of sin. And obviously, it made sinners because it brought the knowledge of sin and that man, because of his lower estate, uh, wasn't able to live up to God's righteous law. And no, even today, nobody will be justified by keeping the law. So God had a better plan. Verse 21. Now, apart from the law, a righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Yes, this covenant that God is making with us in the New Testament is witnessed in the law and the prophets itself. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ unto all them that believe, for there is no distinction. 
The righteousness that we receive now is imputed to us because of our faith in what Jesus did at the cross. Does that mean we're all walking righteously according to the New Testament manifestation of the law? No, it doesn't. But that's what grace is all about, and that's what we're going to find out about here today. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, none of us could go to heaven if it was up to our works to try to line our works up with what God calls righteousness. We just don't measure up, folks. Verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's interesting. Justified freely by God's grace. The word grace means favor. By God's favor. We are justified freely through the redemption that God gave us in Jesus. In verse 25, Whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to show His righteousness because of the passing over of the sins done aforetime in the forbearance of God. So God set forth Jesus to be our propitiation. That, that's just a word that means our covering. And it's through faith in His blood that we have this covering. Faith in, in the sacrifice of His life. That His blood was poured out for our sins. That He bore our curse. It is our faith in these things that causes us to have a covering. Covering for what? A covering for our ignorance. A covering for our failures. A covering for our sin. I'd like to talk to you about what kind of sin he's talking about here. And why we have to have this covering. And does everybody have this covering? And does everybody keep this covering? And um, to know how to walk under this covering is life. Because many walk out from under it. They don't realize that they're doing it. But they are doing it. And we have this through faith. The most important thing that we can have now is faith in what Jesus did. Because that's what gives us this propitiation. Some people think that no matter what they do, they are under this blood covering. And that's not the truth. That is a lie. We're going to look at that today. We're going to see that that's just not the truth. Verse 26. For the showing, I say, of his righteousness at this present season, that he might himself be just, and the justifier of him that hath faith in Jesus. Justified is a word that means accounted righteous. We are accounted righteous because we believe in what Jesus did at the cross. Because he poured out his blood for us and because we were crucified with him, as the Apostle Paul said. Verse 27, where then is the glory? It's excluded. We have nothing to brag about. We're not receiving this gift because we're capable, because we're able to keep the law, or because we've ever kept the law, or even the law of the New Testament. If you want to use the law, the New Testament as a law, some people think that they can use the New Testament as a law. Well, you won't live up to that either. And the reason is that your fallen nature will not permit it. And God will not give you grace over your fallen nature unless you're walking by faith. See, that's where ultimately right, pure righteousness is going to come from, is by those who walk by faith in what Jesus did at the cross. So, there's nothing to glory about. Where then is the glorying? It is excluded. By what manner of law? Of works? Nay, but by a law of faith. 
There it is. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and of death. By the law of faith. The law of faith <clears throat> supersedes the law of justification by works. Verse 28. We reckon therefore that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Wow. That is a good deal, folks. Matter of fact, that's the best deal. That's why it's called the good news. The good news of what Jesus accomplished for us and what he gave to us freely that we didn't have to uh, attribute or accomplish in ourselves by keeping his law. God didn't keep, God didn't give the law so that people could attain to righteousness. He gave the law to show people they were sinners. The law couldn't take away sin. Jesus did. And he does it now by faith in his sacrifice and in his propitiation. It's, it's uh, of utmost importance that we have this, this propitiation. Otherwise, we live under the curse of the law. You come out from under the curse of the law, you have to come under the covering of Jesus. Uh, the covering of Jesus permits you to live without the judgment that you so deserve and I so deserve. This propitiation is um, very important, but the Bible tells us that we can lose this. So I want to point some things out to you today. First of all, I'd like you to go down to chapter 4 and verse 5. I'm going to read a verse there. It says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is reckoned for righteousness. Well, that's interesting. A man that's not trying to work his way to heaven, not trying to attain unto righteousness through his good works. Because what can the old man do, folks? Just how godly can he be? All right? To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. Justifieth the ungodly. I mean, God is attributing righteousness. Justify means accounted righteous. He's accounting righteousness to the ungodly. Yes. His faith is reckoned for righteousness. Now, don't you think if we find this person who is justified by faith, that we'd better be careful how we judge this person? Because according to this, God's justifying the ungodly. Suppose this man is making mistakes. Suppose he's doing foolish things, you know, like sometimes children do. And uh, we don't judge him according to the way that God judges him. In other words, we don't account him righteous, but God does. And what we try to do, maybe, is judge him according to his works, when he doesn't even like those works. He's not interested in those works. He's interested in following God. Maybe he's ignorant of those works. Maybe he hadn't gotten the revelation yet. We're going to look at some things like this. I'll tell you, it's a dangerous place to judge someone who God justifies when um, we judge him according to the outward appearance, but God judges according to the heart. This is something we need to understand because this is how a lot of people lose their propitiation. This is how they lose their own covering. Down in verse 14, For if they that are of the law are heirs, faith is made void. In other words, look, you're not going to be justified by the law in any form or fashion. If you are, then, you, then it's not by faith. And, and we're not going to be justified by the law, so faith is the only method we have. And the promise is made of none effect. So if you think you're going to be justified by keeping the old covenant law, then the promises 
are going to be made of none effect. For the law worketh wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there transgression. Wow. Where there is no law, neither is there transgression. If you want to live under the law and you resurrect the law, then you're going to have plenty of transgression. Because uh, as Paul said in Galatians, if you keep one part of the law, you've got to keep the whole law. There's only one way you could possibly be justified by the law. Nobody's ever done it. You have to keep the whole law. It's not a good deal. That's why they don't call it the good news. <laughs> we have the good news, and it's a much better deal, except what the Lord Jesus did for you. The law works wrath. I mean, you're under the law of sin and death when you seek to be justified by the law, because if you break the law in one point, the Scripture says, you're guilty of the whole law. Wow, that's a bad deal, right? Sure. Because man cannot attain unto righteousness through his fleshly ability or his own self-works. We have to have God's grace. It has to be Him who rises up in us and gives us the gift of righteousness and manifests His righteousness in us. So, uh, where there is no law, neither is there transgression. Now, this is interesting. This is, this is something we really need to look at. What kind of law are we accountable to in the New Testament? Is it the law that's written on the page? Is it the law that's written on the Old Testament pages? Is it the law that's written on the New Testament pages? What kind of law are we held accountable to? Well, I'd like you to look maybe at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 for a minute. Maybe verse 2 and 3. You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men, being made manifest that you are an epistle of Christ. An epistle of Christ. Isn't that interesting? Well, it's not just this book that God is writing His word upon, is it? It's our hearts, right? Being made manifest that you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in tables that are hearts of flesh. This is God's real true interest, folks. We are to be the book. You know, the Muslims call the, the Jews and the Christians the people of the book. <laughs> well, that's what we are. We're supposed to be the people of the book. But the Old Testament had its laws that were written on tables of stone. The New Testament has its laws that are written upon hearts of flesh. If you look, Before we leave here, I'd like to look at verse 14. Speaking about the Jews, it said, Their hearts were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remaineth, that it not being revealed to them, that it is done away in Christ. Meaning the Old Covenant is done away in Christ. Those There are many people veiled. Their eyes are veiled. They don't see that the Old Covenant, the law, was done away in Christ. It was done away in the letter. It wasn't done away in the spirit. We're going to see that too. But it was done away as a covenant, as it was in Jesus Christ. But unto this very day, whensoever Moses is read, a veil lieth upon their heart. And I might say many Christians too have a veil upon their heart. They don't understand 
that that covenant was not made with them and that they're not under the letter of that covenant. And um, he goes on to tell us the good news, the truth of the New Testament good news here. But whensoever it shall turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You want to know how to understand the gospel, the good news of the gospel? You have to turn to the Lord. You have to turn away from self-righteousness, self-justification. That's what the law was all about, folks. God gave you the law, and you had to obey it. By whatever strength you had, you had to obey it. It was self-righteousness. It was self-works. But God gives us His works in the New Testament. It's freely given, and He gives it by faith. If you haven't entered into faith, then you don't understand what I'm talking about. There's a veil upon your heart. Turn to the Lord. Verse 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We'll come across that word liberty again in a little while. Liberty. It was a a term that was used of um, of their jubilee when the captives were set free from bondage and the land was turned back over to the original owners. Many good things you can see there. See, this land that we live in here, this old flesh, uh, it doesn't belong to the carnal man. It doesn't belong to sin. And it don't belong to the devil. It belongs to God. And it belongs to the sons of God that are being manifested in us. Who are taking this land back. We are free now. We're not bondservants unto sin any longer. We are free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with an unveiled face, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. This is how simple it is, folks. With an unveiled face... You behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord. You reveal It is revealed to you that Jesus Christ now lives in you, and you no longer live in you, and you accept that by faith. Because He made the propitiation. He made uh, the reconciliation, which means an exchange. He exchanged His life for ours, and now we don't live anymore. Christ lives in us. So, Behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. We're, we're transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. The power of God does this as we behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord, as we accept the sacrifice of Jesus. Okay, um, another verse I'd like you to look at, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. Hope you got your Bibles. I'm going to go back to verse 13. It says, You being dead through your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, you, I say, did he make alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses. He made you alive at the cross through faith. Uh, Life is not going to come by justification through works of the law. Verse 14, Having blotted out the bond written in ordinances that was against us, Wow, that's a good deal, folks. You ever tried to keep all those? I know Christians that try to keep bits and pieces of the law. But it's kind of silly. I'm talking about bits and pieces of the letter of the law. They try to keep those, thinking that they're holy because they do that, because they're, they're justified because they do that. But it's really kind of silly, because you have to keep the whole law. But here he blotted out the bond written in ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he hath taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Having despoiled the principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. See, he conquered our enemies. 
He delivered us out of the power of darkness. Satan has no authority, no power over anyone that doesn't give it to him. That's the revelation of the gospel. Some of you out there struggling with sin, struggling with this demon or that demon. But I want to tell you, get the revelation of the truth. You were set free. Colossians 1 and 13. He delivered you out of the power of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son of His love. You have been set free. Now he mentions just a few for an example here of the, the letter of the law of the Old Testament. He says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink. You know all the rules about meats and drinks, right? Or in respect of a feast day or of a new moon or of a Sabbath. In other words, don't let anybody condemn you about not doing any of these things. Which are a shadow of the good things to come. But the body is Christ. These are just a shadow of the good things to come. They are what Paul called the letter. The letter that killeth. That must be translated to the spirit that giveth life. If you're judging people according to the letter that killeth, you are doing the work of the devil. If you're preaching to people that they have to be justified by keeping the letters of these Old Testament laws... You are doing the work of the devil, and you are blind, and you have a veil upon your heart, because you think that you can be justified by keeping your little bits and pieces of the law. Go back over there and read the rest of it. You have to keep all of the rest of that. He says, don't let anybody judge you. Remember that, folks. The Judaizers who are out there are trying to bring you back under portions of the law that God never made with you in the first place. Just remember that. He refused to make the law with the church. He said that we would fulfill the law. That is different. When you talk about a type or a shadow, a parable, you don't want to go back and repeat the shadow. You want to fulfill it by keeping what it points to. That's what a lot of people are missing. Okay, Let's go to um, Hebrews chapter 7. I'm going somewhere. Stick with me. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 18. It says, For there is a disannulling of the foregoing commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. Well, i got news for you. By one offering, He hath perfected them that are sanctified, Hebrews says. Jesus, by one offering. That's a... 10 and 14. By one offering, He perfected us. Some of you say, well, that's not by manifestation. That's just by faith. No, everything that we put our faith upon will be ours. Otherwise, it's not faith. See, some people never do believe that they can attain to what the Lord says He's given them. By one offering, He hath perfected them that are sanctified. But the truth is, the reason He got away from the law is that's the reason, you see. The law couldn't bring anybody to perfection. Well, it's the same word for maturity. Grown up in Christ, you know. The law couldn't do that. So he annulled that commandment. Again, in chapter 8 and verse 4. Now, if he were on earth, speaking of our high priest, he would not be a priest at all, seeing that there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve that which is a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, You see, the people that are serving the law with all their ceremonies and so on and so forth, they're just serving the copy and the shadow. They haven't yet to come into the New Testament. 
They're still playing out the parable, folks. It's just a, just a parable they're doing. They're not, it's not the fulfillment of it. We're learning the fulfillment of it. Okay. Now, if you go down to verse 6, it says, But now hath he obtained a ministry more excellent by so much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant. Does it say he's a mediator of the old covenant? No, it doesn't say that, does it? Do you, if you go under the old covenant, do you have a mediator? No, it doesn't say that either. By so much that he is also a mediator of a better covenant, uh, which hath been enacted upon better promises. Well, the fact that he's talking about better promises lets you know that he's left the old covenant letter. For if that first covenant had been fall, been fa- faultless, then would no place have been sought for a second. Notice that. He found fault with the first one in order to make another covenant. If he makes a new covenant, that makes the first covenant old and, and vanishing away, as we're getting ready to see here. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. So, God made a new covenant through Jesus Christ. And folks, he told us that, that we who walk by faith are grafted into the olive tree called Israel. We're sons of Abraham through faith. Not through works of the law, but through faith. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them forth out of the land of Egypt. For they continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. That's, that is, after the days when Jesus sacrificed, right? I will put my law into their mind, and on their heart also will I write them. Very interesting. Now, here's the new covenant, folks. Not the letter written on the page that you're held accountable to. Here's what he's saying we're held accountable to in our covenant. This is the covenant. This is straight out of uh, Jeremiah uh, 31 and 31, I think it is. Yes, 31 and 31. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind. That's your thoughts, right? Well, in your mind doesn't necessarily give you the ability to do it, though, does it? But he goes on to say, and on their heart also will I write them. Meaning, what does the heart symbolize in the scriptures? It's the seat of your emotions, the seat of your desire, right? Well, you may have a mind to keep God's law. But the problem is, do you have a desire that's strong enough to keep God's law? The Bible says he works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. If it isn't God giving you the will the desire to keep what he now calls the law, then you will not do it. Nobody's ever done it. Because you're dealing with a fallen nature here. See, I will put my laws into their mind, and on their heart also will I write them. And I will be to them as God, and they shall be my people. They will be to me a people. And they shall, teach, they shall not teach every man his fellow citizen, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least to the greatest of them. Notice, from the least to the greatest, they have this relationship with God. From the least to the greatest. It's kind of like children have a relationship with their natural father. 
Teenagers have a relationship with their natural father. He loves them both, right? And grown-ups have a relationship with their natural father. That's a parable for us, folks. The Lord, the least, obviously, don't walk as clearly, nor as intelligibly, nor as um, uh, dependably as the grown-ups do, do they? From the least to the greatest. You know, one of the biggest problems we have is is people who consider themselves mature condemning the people who are not mature. Well, that's foolishness. You wouldn't do that in your household with your little children, would you? They need confidence, too, that they can get up and walk and do. It's, condemnation doesn't make a child walk, does it? Matter of fact, it might make them not walk. From the least to the greatest, they will know me. He says, for I, am, I will be merciful to their iniquities, and their sins will I remember no more. Now, that's the deal we need right there. Their sins will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. But that which is becoming old and waxeth aged is nigh unto vanishing away. Yes, of course. If you've got a new covenant, you don't use the old covenant. I don't know why a lot of Christians haven't figured that out. Or a lot of Judaizers that have come into Christianity haven't figured that out. They're still trying to drag the Christians under the law that God never made with them and refused to make with them. And rob them, by the way, of justification, because there is no justification through the works of the law. They're robbed of their position with Christ. They are separated from Christ, Galatians 5 says. So if somebody brings you under the law even a little bit, folks, you need to get away from those people. Let me just mention that real quickly before I go on. Galatians 5 and 1. For freedom did Christ set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. He was talking about the law through the text. That's what he's talking about. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will profit you nothing. And And I might say that you could put a lot of other laws there too, and it would still be the same. Christ won't profit you. You're seeking to be justified by the law and not grace. And there... And no flesh will be justified by the works of the law. Yea, I testify again unto every man that receiveth circumcision that he's a debtor to do the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. And anybody that tries to make you feel justified by keeping an Old Testament letter of the law, they are cutting you off from Christ. They are your mortal enemy. Get away from them. As the last chapter tells us very plainly, these are sons of the handmaid, not sons of the free woman. He said, you are fallen away from grace. We can't afford to fall away from grace because we're seeking to be justified by the law. The Bible says, cursed is everyone who continueth not in all the things that are written in the book of the law to do them. Now that no man is justified by the law before God is evident, because the righteous shall live by faith. That's Galatians 3. 10 and 11. So, fear to go back under the law. I, I say back. <laughs> for, for Christians and for Gentiles, you, there's no way you can go back under it. You never were under it. God never made it with you. Don't let them tell you that. doesn't make a bit of sense. Okay. Um, Hebrews 8. Nah, I'm going to go on to something else here. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 which I started out earlier with, chapter 4 and verse uh, verse 2, I guess. Here, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. 
But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of a man's judgment. I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing against myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judges me is the Lord. In other words, really, you don't even know, you know, what you may be doing that's not normally pleasing to God. And because of the blood covering, we have that covering for our ignorance, as we're going to look at here in just a minute. He that judges me is the Lord. Wherefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and make manifest the counsels of the heart. Then shall each man have his praise from God. Judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. You see, since we're not under the law of the Old Covenant anymore, we're not accountable to the law that's written on the page, the letter, which is what the Old Covenant was, but we're accountable to the law that God is writing upon our heart, do you actually know what you can condemn someone for? Do you actually know what you can judge them for? Since what's written upon your heart is not necessarily what's written upon your brother's heart. You see, he says here, Judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and make manifest the counsels of the heart. First of all, you must know the law that your brother's under before you can judge him. And since the law of our covenant has to do with God writing his law upon the heart, do you really see the heart? The man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh upon the heart. So there's a lot of judgment going on that's counterproductive. Number one, if you're condemning someone who needs faith to get up and walk with the Lord, and we all do in this covenant, that's the thing that motivates us, that's the thing that empowers us, then is your condemnation productive or is it counterproductive? Well, let's look at that. In some cases it would be, in some cases it wouldn't be. But God can show us. Let me see. Go back to Romans chapter 7 and verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Howbeit, I had not known sin except through the law. For I had not known coveting except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, finding occasion, wrought in me through the commandment all matter of coveting. For apart from the law, sin is dead. In other words, look folks, if you don't have any rules, and you break the law, well, it doesn't mean much, does it? If you don't have any rules, if God hadn't made the law for you, and you do something that's contrary to the nature of God, then he says, apart from the law, sin is dead. Are we apart from the law? Yes, we are apart from the Old Testament letter of the law. We are apart from it. It's passed away in Christ Jesus. Okay. And verse 9 says, And I was alive apart from the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived. Of course, the law is what makes you a sinner. Because you have transgressed what was given by God, right? But, but in the New Testament we're told, uh, for instance, in James 4 and 17. If you want to turn there, you can. Many of you probably know it by heart. It says, To him therefore that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Well, that's interesting. It says, Apart from the law, sin is dead. But now he's telling us, 
that to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So a person has to have knowledge in order for it to be sin. In other words, according to our covenant, it has to be written upon our mind first. A person has to have knowledge before it's sin. Now, are we talking about, you know, outward immoralities, or are we talking about the finer part, parts of the law? Because I can tell you, you can go to somebody that's um, out in deepest, darkest Africa, and they know some things are immoral and wrong, don't they? In fact, they have, they have to train themselves uh, under their flesh to to destroy their conscience in order to walk away from them. And that's the way it is with all mankind. If mankind was judged purely on the grounds of his conscience, everybody would be condemned. Because everybody has disobeyed their conscience in order to serve their flesh. Everybody. Some people say, well, what? how is God going to judge you? Well, let me say, if God judges people according to their conscience, everybody has defiled their conscience. They went contrary to the very highest part of their being. They disobeyed God, and they became more and more corrupt. So nobody's going to get off with, we didn't know, because your conscience does know some things already. And um, But the neat thing is that to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. God's not holding us accountable for an awful lot of things that are written in this book that we don't know about yet. That's where the propitiation comes in. That's where the covering comes in. What about the things that we're doing contrary to God and contrary to His holy nature, which is so far above us? What about those things that we don't even know about yet? Well, they're under the blood covering. See, God can have fellowship with His little children even as He can with His grown-up children. They're under the blood covering. We have to make sure that we don't do something to cause God to take away that propitiation or that blood covering. We're going to talk about that too. Uh, 5 and 13. Romans 5 and 13. It says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Wow! Isn't that something? The law was a meantime thing, folks. Galatians 3 tells us. Until the seed should come to whom the promise was due. And that seed was Christ. And the fact that we get to partake of the promise is due to the fact that we abide in Him. If you don't abide in Him, you don't have the promise. The promise was only made to Jesus Christ. The meantime thing was the law. Okay. Well, verse 13 says, Until the law, sin was in the world. In other words, the nature of corruption was in the world. But, Sin is not imputed when there's no law. In other words, God doesn't count it against you when there's no law. How can that be? Well, how did these people get to heaven? Or will they ever? Well, what about the Jews? How did they get to heaven? Or will they ever? You know, folks, when Jesus went and preached to the souls in prison, nobody goes to heaven without grace. Even the Jews under the law have to come under grace. If they don't come under grace, they're not going. Jesus said in John chapter 3, Except a man be born again, he'll never even see the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus preached the souls in prison, you know what? The righteous received the gospel. They believed the gospel. The people that were before the time of the flood, before the law, these people, the righteous among them, received the gospel. How could they be righteous? <laughs> people ask. 
Well, listen, folks. God's had an elect from the beginning until now. He's had an elect. What did Noah and his know about, you know, the grace that we're talking about now? He was the elect. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's what the Bible said. He found grace. God had mercy upon him. He was the elect of God. He was the righteous. Did he receive the righteousness of faith in the blood of Jesus? Yes, he did. Along with all the other prisoners in Sheol that awaited the Lord who came and preached the gospel to them and took captivity captive. Everyone has to be saved the same way. You must be born from above to be saved. And the law was just a meantime thing, as Galatians 3 says. Just a meantime thing to keep down sin, to put the fear of God in people until the promise would come that would make men perfect and would take away the sins of the world. See, Jesus was the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. You know, Jesus said in John 15 and 22, He said, If I hadn't come and spoken unto you, you wouldn't have sin. Wow! You mean those Jews, in their ignorance of New Testament principles, of the truth of God's will, were okay before God as long as they kept slaughtering those bulls and goats and accepting that God was accepting that as a sacrifice for their sins. Jesus said, you wouldn't have sin if I hadn't come and spoken unto you. But now you've got no excuse for your sin. Meaning what? Meaning when knowledge came, they were held responsible. But when they were ignorant, God was overlooking their foolishness. Now that's what the propitiation is, folks. It's God overlooking our foolishness. Okay? And not holding us responsible to the letter of the law, whether you consider that the Old Testament or the New Testament. Because I run across Christians all the time that don't even know their New Testament. And when you tell them things about, well, this is not scriptural, you know, this is not pleasing to God, here's the verse, so on and so forth. And, of course, some of those people pick that up and say they're so happy to have something else that they can be obedient to and believe, have, stretch their faith out for so that they can be pleasing unto their Father. But the others, they want to know, they just want their toe in the door. You know what I'm talking about? Well, what do I have to do to go to heaven? That's all I want to know. What do I have to do? I'm going to get my toe in the door and that's all I'm worried about. Yeah? No, these are not the righteous, folks. They snuck in. These are not the righteous. You know what I'm talking about. And you might have been there yourself once, you know. Uh, look at Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 39. You remember when the Israelites rebelled in the wilderness and murmured against God? And he said to them, he said, Your little ones that you said would be a prey, and your children that this day have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in, unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. Well, they were going into the promised land. And of course, there's at least one type of the promised land was the kingdom of heaven. And But it was because they were their little ones. They thought that their little ones would be a prey to the flesh. But actually, it was them that was the prey to the flesh. Do you understand the type and the shadow here, folks? Is a lot of people are looking on the little ones today. I'm talking about the little ones in the kingdom, the little ones of God. 
Whatever you do, the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me, Jesus said. Remember the, the least, the littlest. They're looking on the little ones and condemning the little ones. Thinking that they're a prey. But you know what, folks? It's sometimes the people that consider themselves mature that are actually the prey. Because they're not judging these little ones worthy of the grace that God has given unto them. The grace that Jesus died to give unto them. You say, well, David, don't we talk a lot against the, the apostate religious system? And, uh, and, and Yes, exactly. Because God's little ones are in bondage to a wicked, evil system that's created by men and has nothing to do with New Testament Christianity. But now, when you take one of those little ones out of the crowd, you have to be careful how you deal with them. I was one of those little ones that was in apostate Christianity. And I tell you, I wanted nothing but God. And I was very foolish. And I made lots of mistakes. And you know what? God loved me and I knew it. And I had a relationship with Him because I believed His Word. And I had people condemn me sometimes for doing things uh, that um, they thought were wrong, which weren't wrong for me. But it would have been wrong for them because their conscience told them so. See, they were trying to judge me about what was written upon their heart instead of what God had written upon my heart. Well, you don't want to do that, folks, because you're separating people from faith. Condemnation is not faith. It's the opposite of faith. The righteous shall live from faith. And yet you can't have faith and condemnation at the same time. So they thought their little ones would be the prey. They would be conquered by the, the giants in the land, the beasts, the wilderness. But no, it was these people that considered themselves mature that weren't entering in. A lot of times it's that way today. I hear people tell me that, that they're members of the remnant, but they're very condemning of people that don't come up to their their own ideas of maturity. And they don't understand that they are losing something by doing this. They're losing something from God, which we're going to talk about. Go with me to Psalm 19. And let's look at uh, verse 12, verse 13. It says, Who can discern his errors? How can we know everything that would be displeasing in our life to God? First of all, it's not profitable to know at one moment in time everything that could be not what God considers perfection. And God doesn't give it to us that way anyway. It's line upon line, here a little and there a little. Thank God, because it would be a terrible burden if God put the revelation of perfection on your mind all of a sudden. You would feel like a terrible, terrible sinner and you would just crawl in a hole, wouldn't you? But God's very graceful and merciful. It's kind of like going through the promised land. They only had to face one enemy at a time. You know, they didn't have to face all their enemies at the same time. You know, And uh, so God's very merciful. So who can discern his errors? And what does he say? Clear thou me from hidden faults. Obviously, he's admitting that there are hidden faults. We all have hidden faults. And this is a psalm of David, so... Clear thou me from hidden faults. Well, first of all, you've got to have an array, a relationship with God so that He can do this. If you don't have a relationship with God, how can He do this? Well, if you are under condemnation or the works of the law, you don't have a relationship with God. Faith is what connects you with the propitiation, remember? And the propitiation is the covering for your ignorances and the covering 
for your uh, hidden faults that you don't even know about. So that you can have that relationship with God that a child has with their father. Do you have to worry so much about your hidden faults? No. You just have to, like David did here, Lord, clear me from all my hidden faults. Now, he knew he had a relationship with God. He knew that the blood of bulls and goats gave him temporary forgiveness, even. But he wanted more. And the true Christians do want more. They don't want just forgiveness. They want deliverance from the power of sin, which is what Jesus came to do. The difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Jesus came to take away sin. That is, do away with the very sin nature that keeps us in bondage. So David asked, clear me from the hidden faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be upright. Then I shall be clear from great transgression. Well, of course. But you know what? As long as you've got the propitiation, you're accounted righteous. You don't want to stay there, and I don't want to stay there. I don't want to just be accounted righteous, do you? I want to be righteous. This is our promise. What Jesus did at the cross, according to Romans 6, is He made you free from sin. That's what I want. But as Jesus taught us, when you pray, believe you have received and you shall have it. We pray. We ask the Lord to take away our sins. He did. He did it at the cross. Now we want to see it manifested, don't we? And of course, if you continue to walk by faith, He is faithful and just to do that. He says, let them not have dominion over me. What's this? These presumptuous sins. Now, I know there's probably a difference of opinion out there what a presumptuous sin is, but in my opinion, a presumptuous sin is a sin that presumes to take authority over your life when you've been delivered at the cross. You were made free from sin at the cross. You're to reckon yourself to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God, Romans 6 says. Any sin that continues to give you a problem after that is just a presumptuous sin. He said, deliver me from these presumptuous sins. Now, now Paul spoke about these in Romans chapter 7. And he pointed out that there was a way there in which God would not attribute evil to you even while you were sinning. Wow. That's right. Faith is accounted as righteousness. Remember what we read earlier. I'm going to read it to you again. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is reckoned for righteousness, or accounted as righteousness. Okay. So, in Romans chapter 7, now we, what, we've, what we've seen so far is that you are accountable for the law that's written upon your heart, not the law that's written upon your neighbor's heart. Right? And since you don't necessarily see your neighbor's heart, you have to be very careful how you judge. Okay? Now, here's here's one that's under the blood covering here, Paul speaks about. And let's see, where am I going to start here? We'll start with uh, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I know not. For not... What I would, that do I practice. In other words, it's not what I want to do that I'm practicing. Not that I will to do that I'm practicing. But what I hate, that I do. If what I would not, that I do, I consent unto the law that it is good. And what you're saying is, 
if I don't want to sin, but I'm doing it, I'm at least saying the law is good. I'm saying the law is right. Okay, And I don't want to sin. I want to be pleasing to God. That's what he's saying. That's where Paul was here. Okay, Verse 17. So now it's no more I that do it, but the sin which dwelleth in me. Wow, that was a neat way out, wasn't it? <laughs> since, since I don't want to sin, but this flesh has taken dominion over me, or presum- presuming to take dominion over me after Jesus delivered me, he says, so now it's no more I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me. Whoa, he is free. He recognizes the propitiation. He recognizes that he has been accounted righteous by his faith. He recognizes that he has a relationship with God. He also recognizes that God's on his side against the sin. And that that sinner is not him. See, this is, what's the difference here? The difference is he wanted to please God. He fought against his sin, but he failed. Verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but to do that which is good is not. You've been there. I've been there. We've all been there. What is the way out? Well, if you if you are in this position, just remember, it's not you doing it. It's the sin dwelling in you. That's what he said. In other words, the old man is condemned to death, but you are free. Verse 19, For the good which I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do, that I practice. So, the good that I will to do, I don't do. But the evil which I will not to do, I'm practicing. But, if what I would not that I do, it's no more I that do it, but sin which dwelleth in me. He's made that point pretty clear now. He's made it twice. It's not you anymore. When you will to do God's will, you desire earnestly to please Him, it's not you anymore It's the old man that's guilty. God transfers guilt upon your enemy. That old man, that flesh, that carnal life. He said, I find then that the law that to me who would do good, evil is present. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see a different law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity under the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me out of the body of this death. And I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then, I of myself with the mind indeed serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. But did you notice, God got on Paul's side against his sin. God made himself the enemy of that old man, the flesh. and uh, But he loved Paul. And he was on his side. And chapter 8 says, There is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and of death. Listen, there is now no more condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. He's talking about himself here, folks. He was in Christ Jesus while he was failing God. The spiritual man was in Christ Jesus while he was the old man was living in sin, failing God. And he's saying there's no condemnation for this? Yeah. There's no condemnation of them that are in Christ Jesus. Why is this? 
Because there's no way you can overcome the flesh, the sin, and the devil of your own ability or your own will. It has to come from God, and God doesn't listen if you don't give Him faith. Faith is accounted as righteousness. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith is your way to grace. By grace have you been saved through faith. And you can't have grace and condemnation at the same time. God says, forget the condemnation, accept the blood covering, accept that it's no longer you that's doing this, but the sin that dwells in you. And now, accept this deliverance and walk by faith. In other words, don't walk by sight, don't walk by feelings, don't look in the, in the mirror and see the old man. Look in the mirror and see the new man, Jesus Christ. Walk by faith. Don't walk by sight. What's well, so easy to be condemned of what you're failing the Lord over? But I have to tell you, if you are, you're not walking by faith. And you won't receive the grace that you need to overcome it. First of all, if you allow condemnation to come over you, what you're saying is, I could have done better and I didn't. Think about it. I could have done better and I didn't. Let me tell you something, folks. Paul was talking about the law of sin that dwelt in his members. He wasn't doing better and he hated it. It's not us that can do better. It's Christ in us that can do better. And he, his help comes on the scene when we walk by faith. But when we walk by condemnation and there's no faith involved, then there's no grace involved. By grace have you been saved through faith. So God says, give it up. You can't make yourself any better anyway. Just walk by faith. Don't walk by sight. And I'll do the rest. It has to be a free gift. But we want to earn it, Lord. We want to do better. We want to please you. God says, no. It has to be free. By grace, if you've been saved through faith, that's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of your works or not of works. Lest any man should boast, God is not going to permit anybody to attain unto righteousness outside of faith and grace. He's not going to permit it. It's not a matter of him not permitting it. It's not possible. The old carnal nature just weighs you down. It's just not possible. If it was, people could have been made righteous through the law. It's just not possible. So, now let me ask you something. Suppose you would come upon Paul in his time of weakness, in his time of failure, in his time of sinning against God with his old flesh. And you would condemn him. When actually what he needs here, since he's really got a blood covering and you don't know it, what he actually needs here is faith, not condemnation. You see, condemnation is of the devil. When a man doesn't want his sin, he's fighting against his sin, and he wants to please God, and you condemn him. It comes straight out of the mouth of the devil. That's right. You are the, acting like the enemy of God. What the man needs is faith, because without faith, he can't have grace. And without grace, he will never overcome that sin. You want him to attain to it. You want him to earn it. You want him to earn your good favor. But you're doing the work of the devil. Paul, you say, Paul was immature here. Well, of course, everybody was immature at one point, right? But what Paul needed to grow up and to have the power of God was faith. And I'm sure that he got condemnation for his sin. 
So who can know, who can know, who is it that we're supposed to condemn and who is it that we're not supposed to condemn? Well, first of all, we've discovered that this presumptuous sin that was coming, uh, taking power in his life, uh, was covered because he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who's going to deliver me from this? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It was covered by the propitiation. Now, we know that if we sin willfully, that's not covered by the propitiation. But Paul wasn't doing that. Paul said, the evil which I would not, which I will not to do, that I do. He willed not. Since his will was set against it, he said, it's no more I that do it, but the sin that dwells in me. God separated him from the sin. So, if we have someone who is doing it with the will, this is the person that's under condemnation. This is the person that condemnation will help. Of course, many of them try to plead uh, uh, grace, but they don't have grace. Because if you're doing it with your will, it's you doing it. It's not until you're doing sin that is outside of your will that Paul said, it's no longer I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me. So in Hebrews 10.26, it says that we sin willfully after we receive a knowledge of the truth. There it is. It has to be a knowledge. It has to be written upon your mind. Can you say that a person has had it written upon their mind? You see, there are some things we have to know before we can judge. And we can't judge according to the law. We have to judge according to the New Testament. Don't try to bring people under the law of the Old Testament. You are one of those Judaizers. You say, well, I've never been a Jew, nor have I ever been a Judaizer. Well, if you're trying to judge somebody under the laws of the Old Testament, the condemnation under the Old Testament, that's what you're doing. Now, Hebrews chapter 10, 26 says, If we sin willfully after we receive a knowledge of the truth, There remains no sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment. So, this is a person that doesn't have the blood covering. They don't have the propitiation. They are judged and they are condemned by God because they do it with their will. They sin with their will against God. Now, of course, some of them say that's all under the blood. I've heard them say that. You know it. You know people sin willfully and still say it's under the blood, but they're liars. They haven't read the book. That's their religion talking. No, they have to repent. Because there's no sacrifice for that sin. There's no blood covering for a sin with the will. It needs to be avoided at all cost. Because a person doesn't repent of that, they will ultimately become reprobate and turn totally against God. Fear to will to sin with your will, okay? Okay, I want to show you something else here. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 7. I'm pointing out some of the ways in which you need to be careful about judging God's people. Chapter 9 and verse 7. Talking about entering into the temple. Sacrificing for the people of God. But into the second, the high priest alone, once in the year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Well, the word errors here, folks, is the word ignorances. Ignorances of the people. The blood is offered for the ignorances of the people. The blood covers the ignorances of the people. 
So we see here two things. Number one, Paul in Romans chapter 7 wasn't ignorant of his sin. He knew about his sin, but he hadn't yet come to the place of faith and rest in God to deliver him from the sin. He got a revelation that while he walked by faith, God covered that sin, that sin that was presuming to rule his life. And now we get another revelation that ignorance is covered. Sins of ignorance are covered. Sins of presumption are covered. But not sins of willful disobedience. See, look at Leviticus chapter 5. If you don't know the difference and you don't know where your brother is, you better be careful that you're not doing the work of the devil. Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 17. And if anyone sin and do any of the things which the Lord hath commanded not to be done. Here's the law, folks. This is how bad a deal they had under the Old Testament. Listen. If anyone sin and do any of the things which the Lord hath commanded not to be done. Where? In the book. They were judged by the law that was written in the book. Well, wow. Who could remember all of that? Yeah, exactly. Though he knew it not. Ooh. Yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. Wow, that's rough. Well, except that this was a type and a shadow for us. Watch. He shall bring a ram without blemish out of the flock, according to the estimation for a trespass offering unto the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him concerning the thing wherein he erred unwittingly and knew it not. And he shall be forgiven. It's a trespass offering. He is certainly guilty before the Lord. Notice, all he had to do is bring this atoning ram to be offered for his sins that he did unwittingly. So he had a covering here. An atonement here is the word for cover. Same thing we're looking at, propitiation. It's the, same, it's the Old Testament word for the New Testament. This word here is uh, kephar. And um, the, the same word we read in uh, Hebrew. Romans for propitiation. So, the covering. He got a covering. Now, what we read was, our lamb's already been sacrificed for our covering. We don't have to do this. The covering for our ignorances has already been accomplished. For the sins that we do unwittingly, it's already been accomplished. The Lord's taken care of it. So, we don't have to bring a ram or a goat or make any sacrifices. Our sacrifice has been made. We have a blood covering. But notice what this sacrifice was for. It's for people who err unwittingly. So, when you judge someone according to your standards, according to what you know the Word of God says, just remember, if it's unwitting to him, you better not condemn him because he's under the blood. He's under the covering. If you are condemning him and he is under the covering, that may come back upon your head. I'm going to prove that to you in a few minutes. First, I want to look at um, Leviticus. No, I'm going to go to Numbers, chapter 15. And let's look in verse 27. And if one person sin unwittingly, then he shall offer a she-goat, a year old, for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for the soul that erreth, 
when he sitteth unwittingly before the Lord, to make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. And our priest, of course, Jesus Christ, did offer his flesh upon the cross as our atonement. And we have been forgiven for unwitting sins. Verse 29. You shall have one law for him that doeth aught unwittingly, for him that is home-born among the children of Israel, and for the stranger that sojourneth among them. But the soul that doeth aught with a high hand, whether he be home-born or a sojourner, the same blasphemeth the Lord. Now you want to know what blaspheming the Lord is? Here it is. With a high hand. That's what their, their terminology for. Willful disobedience. He that doeth aught with a high hand, whether he's home-born or sojourner, the same blasphemeth the Lord. That soul shall be cut off from among his people. Because he hath despised the word of the Lord, and hath broken his commandment. What did Paul say was the condition there to make it unwittingly is... Or, excuse me, to make it uh, covered, his condition was that you had to hate the sin. You had to be against it. It had to be against your will. That was his condition. And now it says here, because he hath despised the word of the Lord, and hath broken his... Folks, there are a lot of religious people that do this. They do, they sin willfully. Wittingly and willfully, thinking that they're under the blood and God will forgive me if we confess it later. Well, folks, you can only do that just so long before God reprobates you. And that's what it's talking about here. They'll be cut off. He hath broken his commandment. That soul shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be upon him. So every sin's not the same as some of us have been taught. All sins are not the same. Now, concerning judgment, how can we lose this propitiation? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. Can we lose this propitiation ourselves? Can, can a person judging someone out of turn or falsely, as we've just noticed, can they lose their own propitiation? Look at verse 7 here. 1 Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. But be ye therefore of sound mind. And be sober unto prayer. Sound mind and sober. Above all things, being fervent in your love among yourselves. For love covereth a multitude of sins. Love covereth sin. How does love cover sins? And he said, notice he said, above all things, be fervent in your love among yourselves, for love covers a multitude of sins. The love between the brethren covers a multitude of sins. Meaning, obviously, there could be some things that you would do that would not be of love that would uncover sins, obviously. Above all things. In other words, this is very important. Do you love yourself enough to accept the blood covering, but you don't love your brother enough to give him the blood covering? Is that a possibility? You know, when you, when a man preaches the gospel to another and they receive it and they understand and they walk by faith, you know what they've done? I'll read it to you. James chapter 5 and verse 20 says, excuse me, verse 19, My brethren, if any among you err from the truth, now that's not just talking about a sinner out of the world, is it? That's just, that's talking about God's people turning away from the truth, right? If any among you err from the truth and one convert him, let him know 
that he who converteth a sinner, which is, of course, those in the church and those out of the church, from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall cover a multitude of sins. So, you know, our job is to um, cover people with the propitiation. When you preach the gospel to people and they get faith, they are then covered by the propitiation. They're covered by this, the, uh, the blood covering of Jesus Christ. In that condition, God, as some people say, sees them through the blood. I tell you, if you walk in willful disobedience, God's not blind. You know, He can see you and He can know you're a sinner. Because that's sin. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So, the person who preaches the gospel, the good news to someone, and they get faith and they believe it, in effect, they're covering that person for a multitude of sins. Can just the opposite be true? Of course, if you preach condemnation to somebody that needs faith, you're not covering their sins, you're doing just the opposite. Because we just read in Romans chapter 3 that the blood covering comes through faith in the sacrifice of Jesus. You want your sins covered? You want their sins covered. Preach faith to them if they're not in willful disobedience. If they want to please God, preach faith to them so that they can have a covering. The covering is, of course, a means to the cleansing. The covering is not the cleansing. It's a means to the end, which is the cleansing. The blood both covers and cleanses. It covers so that you can have a relationship with God until the cleansing comes. The Bible says we walk in the light as He is in the light. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If you walk in the light. So, how can you walk in the light? Well, you've got to have grace. Well, how do you get grace? You walk by faith. If you don't have faith, or you rob someone's faith because you're condemning them and they need faith, you're not doing the work of the Lord. You're plundering them. If they want to please the Lord, you preach faith to them. Even if they're failing, you preach faith to them. You tell them, don't walk by sight. Don't see the old man in the mirror. See Jesus in the mirror. That's what you tell them. Now, if they're willfully disobedient, then they're condemned. That's strange. The church does things just the opposite sometimes. They let all the people in that are willfully disobedient. So a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So, what could we do that would actually... Well, you were just seen what we can do to uncover someone. What about uncover ourselves? Well, for instance, Matthew chapter 6, 12 through 15. Let's read that. Matthew 6, verse 12 says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Well, if you don't forgive your debtors, you're not going to be forgiven your debts. If you're not forgiven, you're not covered. It's very simple. If you don't forgive others, you're not covered. As he goes on to say, And bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In other words, your sins aren't covered. God sees them very well. Suppose you're not forgiving someone that God has forgiven. And they are under the blood because their will is against their sin. And they're struggling against it. They want faith and you're giving them condemnation. Well, then you're not forgiving them. You know that we have authority 
to forgive sins? Yeah, John chapter 20. Whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. He wasn't talking. He was talking to his elders there, folks, because I can tell you a lot of a lot of people who are not mature in the faith, they wouldn't know how to handle that. People who are mature in the faith, you know, First Corinthians uh, ten and uh, four um, tells us basically. Uh, excuse me, Second Corinthians ten and ten and six, I believe, says, "Being readiness to avenge disobedience when your obedience is made full." Second Corinthians ten and six. See, if you're not obeying, you can't judge anybody else because you don't have the right perspective and you don't have a right to judge anyway. So he tells his elders, like Jesus did in John chapter 20, whosoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. He didn't say that for personal forgiveness because you always have to personally forgive everyone as it says here in Matthew chapter 6. He said that is governmental forgiveness for the body of Christ. Because there are some people you don't want to forgive in the body of Christ. If they just sit there in the body, forgiven by you, when they're not forgiven by God, they're just a little leaven leaven in the whole lump, aren't they? For instance, in 1 Corinthians 5, we have the example there that the Lord warned us about this. We have to judge according to the Lord's Word. And the man who had his father's wife was, uh, was cast out of the church. By the Apostle Paul. He turned him over to Satan, verse 5, for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord. And these people who were forgiven this man, when he shouldn't have been forgiven, he said, your glorying's not good. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, even as you are, are unleavened. For our Passover has been sacrificed, even Christ. Wherefore, let us keep the feast, the feast of unleavened bread. That's what he's talking about. Not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in my epistle to have no company with fornicators, not meaning the fornicators of the world, or with the covetous or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must you needs go out of the world. But as it is, I wrote unto you not to have company if any man that is named a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. And he's talking about eating, partaking of the, the bread of each other here, the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He's not talking about physical food because he wasn't talking about it in the text. He's talking about verse 8, not with the old leaven neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We're partaking of one another. And he says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. We partake of each other's words and actions, and if it's okay for you to sin, it's okay for me to sin. But it wasn't okay here. He told them, throw these people out who were in outward immorality, willful disobedience against God. He says, for what have I to do with judging them that are without? Do you not judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judges. Put away the wicked man from among yourselves. Meaning, of course, the wicked man that's named a brother, who's in outward immorality, willfully disobedient against God. He says, throw him out. And the Lord says that this man in Matthew chapter 6, who wouldn't forgive his brother, wasn't forgiven. In other words, he wasn't under the blood covering anymore. God saw his sins. And it also says in Matthew 18, 
a very good story here about somebody who was in type not forgiving their brother. What is what is what is judgment? What is anger? What is wrath? What are these things? They are not forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is um, manifested in many many ways, right? When you're angry, when you're bitter towards someone, that's unforgiveness. When you're um, uh, manifesting any kind of wrath towards someone, payback, that's unforgiveness. So Jesus gives us this parable of the of the master who forgives his servant his great debt, meaning, of course, his great debt of sin. But this servant went out and wouldn't forgive his fellow servant of a much lesser debt of sin. And what did Jesus say? Verse 32, Then his Lord called him unto him and said unto him, Thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou besoughtest me. Shouldest not thou also have laid, have had mercy on thy fellow servant, even as I had mercy upon thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, until he should pay all that was due. So shall also my heavenly Father do unto you, if you forgive not every one his brother from your hearts. So he didn't forgive him. He wasn't covered. This person who didn't forgive the brother that should have gotten forgiveness wasn't covered. This this is a man who was judging someone who should have had forgiveness because the master had given forgiveness. And now what we're finding out is they weren't under the blood covering. They didn't have a sacrifice. And God was making them pay for their sins, their own sins. Many people, many Christians are paying for their sins. They're doing it because they're bitter, they're angry, they're unforgiven, or they're judging their brother when they shouldn't be, or they're a critical spirit, they're criticizing, they're condemning. Instead of giving faith to a person that needs faith to get up, they're doing the work of the devil, and they're bringing condemnation into that life. And God's taken away their covering. And the devil is taking advantage of them, plundering them, cursing them, and doing what he wants with them. Let me show you another verse, Ezekiel 21, in verse 24. Therefore thus saith the Lord, because you have made your iniquity to be remembered. Well, I thought he'd cast them in the depths of the sea, never again to remember them, but he can remember them. See, if you break the covenant, it's only when you stay in the covenant that he never remembers them. He can remember them. Matthew 6 and Matthew 18 is very plain. Remember the master who brought back up the sins of his servant who wouldn't forgive his fellow servant? He remembered them. Because of his unforgiveness, because of his bitterness, because of his judgment against his brother who had also sinned, God remembered them. No blood covering. Because you have made your iniquity to be remembered. It's only us that can make our iniquity to be remembered. Nobody else can make our iniquity be remembered. We do that. In that your transgressions are uncovered, so that all your doings, your sins, do appear. Because that you are come to remembrance, you shall be taken with the hand. You see, friends... Some of the things that are coming upon the world, you don't want to be found in this situation at all. The devil is coming to administer the curse to the people that are out from under the blood covering. And that's up to you to stay under the blood covering by giving the same grace to others that you want. If you don't want grace, just don't give it to others. 
I tell you, we've been running into a lot of people lately that don't want to give grace to other people. They want it. They want to be accounted as holy and consider themselves to be part of the remnant. But they won't offer that same mercy and grace to other people. Here's an example. James chapter 2. Let's see, where can we start here? In verse 8. Howbeit, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. Now think about what does that mean? Loving your neighbor as yourself. You want grace from God. You want faith from God. You want the blood covering. You want all the mercy that God has. Well, then you have to love your neighbor as yourself, right? You have to want this for them, right? I'm not saying that you overlook willful disobedience in the assembly because that's not covered by the blood. But the people who are covered, either because of sins of ignorance or sins of presumption, remember that if you judge them contrary, if you judge them according to the law, if you separate them from Christ because you're demanding that they go back under the law and God takes away your grace, then it's because you haven't loved your neighbor as yourself. Verse 9, But if you have a respect of persons, you commit sin, being convicted by the law as a transgressor. You know, uh, a respect of persons? Let me tell you something kind of interesting. I had a brother, and I'm not going to say any names here, okay, but I hope the brother's convicted. But I had a brother that condemned me because I had this prophecy on my site. He said he took it off of my site and put it on his site. But he condemned me for having it on my site because it didn't happen the way he thought it should happen. I said, let me get this straight here. You took it off of me and put it on your site. You're not condemned. But I took it. It was sent to me and I put it on my site and I'm condemned. I said, what's wrong with this picture? Doesn't Jesus say in Romans chapter 2 that when you judge others and you're doing the same thing, how are you going to escape the wrath of God? Certainly, if you want forgiveness for what you've done, I should have forgiveness too. That's a respect of persons. You're convicted by the law as a transgressor. Verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he has become guilty of all. See, if you're judging me according to the law, or I'm judging you according to the law, then first of all, I have to keep all the law, because I'm holding you to a standard that God's going to hold me to. He said, with what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you again. Don't be deceived. Whatsoever a man sows, so shall he reap. So I'm expecting you to keep my, my measure of the law, but you have to keep the whole law. But then I do too. The people that put God's people under the law, they judge them according to the law. We talked a while back about how some people in the New Testament judge people who prophesy in the New Testament. They put them under the law of the prophet, not just prophesy, but the prophet in the Old Testament. Of course, that's death, you understand. But in the New Testament, we're, said, it's, we're told that when we're a child... We prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. And Paul explained it like this. He said, when I was a child, I thought I was a child, I spake as a child, but when I become a man, I put away childish things. So a child in the Lord prophesies in part, probably a teenager in the Lord too. 
until that which is perfect has come. So he, he, he's very merciful with people who are stepping out by faith, learning to prophesy in the New Testament. But some people are not merciful with them at all. They want to judge them according to the law. They want to say, you see here what it says, that which uh, doesn't come to pass is what the Lord didn't say. Well, we already know that. Prophesying in part is not all the Lord. It's part you and part the Lord, right? The Bible says, prophesy according to the measure of your faith. But if you don't give any mercy to that person so that as a child they can grow up, you don't. You don't point to your little brother and sister and say, look how stupid you are. You can't stand up. You fall down. And you got boogers running out of your face. You know, I mean, you might have all kind of criticism for these poor little children. But just remember, they're children. You don't step into perfection immediately. Nobody does. Give them grace if you want grace is what God's saying here. If you're going to judge them according to the law, but you're not going to judge yourself according to the law. Just remember, if they have to keep one part of the law, they have to keep the whole law, and you do too, because now you've judged them, is that? And God's going to turn you over to the same thing that you've put them under. Verse 11. Free that saith, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou dost not commit adultery, but killest, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So if you're breaking the law at some point, that's what Second Corinthians 10 and 6 says, be in readiness to avenge all disobedience when your obedience is made full. So you can't, you don't have a right to judge if you're living in sin. So speak ye and so do as men that are judged by a law of liberty. There it is again. You know the law of liberty? He, he told them about the liberty in Leviticus 25, verse 10. It was the jubilee. See, we have our jubilee. Our jubilee is that we have been delivered out of bondage. We're no longer bond servants. We've been set free. And the land is now returned to the original owner. We now own this property that we walk in right here, this old body. The devil, the old man doesn't own it anymore. We are free from bondage. So we want to be judged by a law of liberty. That's what we've been talking about tonight. The law of liberty. Would you rather be judged by the way we're speaking tonight? According to the law of liberty? Or would you rather be judged by the law? If you judge others by the law, you're going to be judged by the law. For judgment is without mercy to him that has showed no mercy. Mercy glories against judgment. So would you rather err on the side of mercy or on the side of judgment? Well, that's obvious. You know, we don't want to err on the side of judgment. Because we don't want to receive judgment. And even though we might be respecters of persons, God is not. Let me look at one more verse here. Hebrews. I always say that. One more verse and I end up three or four more, right? See, not only do some people judge their little brother and sister out of turn, but they're not obedient. They don't understand that God has given authority on this earth. And uh, it's not that anybody earns that authority. It's it's God's grace. You know, like Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And, of course, Paul was a great leader and a great apostle. But he didn't earn that. God gave it to him as a gift. Verse 17, Hebrews 13 and verse 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit to them, for they watch in behalf of your souls as they that shall give account, that they may do this with joy and not with grief. For this were unprofitable for you. What he's saying is, 
if God's put you under some elders and they're watching for your soul, and they've been given authority to speak to you in the name of Jesus, and God hadn't ordained you to be an elder yourself, believe me, folks, everybody out there needs to submit to the fivefold ministry because they have come to perfect the saints. That's what the Lord said in Ephesians. For the perfecting of the saints unto the work of the ministry, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, it says. It says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit to them, for they watch in behalf of your souls, as they that shall give account. Yep, they have a responsibility to tell you what you need to hear. And I just wish we had more elders that were really elders. But they have a responsibility to tell you what you need to hear. Not maybe what you want to hear. But you better be careful. They need to do this with joy and not with grief. It's a grief to be given um, leadership over some people. It's a grief. Because they're very self-willed, rebellious. They don't know, have any respect for authority whatsoever. They rail at authority that tries to correct them, give them direction. Some people take no correction, no direction whatsoever. I'm reminded of this verse in, in Jude chapter 8. Yet in the manner these also in their dreaming defile the flesh and set at naught dominion and rail at dignities. Yet these self-willed people that have no submission to God's authority at all, they're defiled. They set at naught dominion. They rail at dignities. And as an extreme example, he gives us this, verse 9. But Michael the archangel, pretty good guy, wouldn't you say? <clears throat> when contending with the devil, pretty bad guy, right? He disputed about the body of Moses, didn't bring against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, what about these people that rail at the dominion, at the dignities. Well, these people are a grief to anybody that they are supposedly under submission to. And God said, that's not going to be profitable for you. In other words, He is not going to bless you for that. So, folks, I tell you, a good rule of thumb is, if you don't know, don't judge. If you want to err, err on the side of giving mercy and grace. Because you want mercy and grace. And with what measure you meet it out, it will be measured unto you again. We have to sow what we want to reap. See, people want to reap, but they don't want to sow to get it. But you know what? You have to sow to reap. That's the law. Don't be deceived, the Bible says. Whatsoever man sows, that is what he will reap. Think about it now. If you sow it, you will reap it. If you give it to others, it will be given unto you. Praise be to God. Can quench my thirsting soul. Pure as water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow. Oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea. Though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word. Jesus, I trust in you.